0: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. We're gonna have a really great discussion about low code, no code goodness with Mike Williams, who's the founder of Build Lab Digital. Before we jump in though, I gotta make sure, speaking of digital, how are you backing that thing up? And I mean that thing being everything. If I wanna give any recommendation I can, I do have to give a shout out to the supporters and our amazing friends at Veeam Software. I do this not just because they're actually sponsors of the show, that's a bonus. The reality is that I've been using their platforms for a long time, and I really, really, truly entrust the the team, the platforms, because they really have you covered for everything you need for your data protection needs. And I mean that in that it's physical servers, virtual servers, cloud servers, cloud native workloads, Office 365, Microsoft Teams, How's that for everything you need for your data protection needs? So if you wanna check it out, which I recommend you do, head on over to Veeam Software. And it's easy to do because you can go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. Not only does it get you to Veeam, it lets you know that old disco posse's in. So check it out, I highly recommend them. Second to the fact that you're going to be backing up everything you need for your data prediction needs using Veeam software, you want to make sure that you're enjoying a nice, chill, warm cup of the most devilishly good coffee while you're doing it. So if you want to check out something really cool, it's got amazing coffee and fantastically devilishly and diabolically good swag, Uh, do check out DiabolicalCoffee.com. Proud sponsor, and I'm also a co-owner of the coffee store, and we actually sponsor other podcasts as well. So, hey, if you're at it, check out the produce stand. Uh, So if you go to the uh, Disco Posse podcast website, I'll show our partner uh, programs, and also go to DiabolicalCoffee.com, and you can see other folks that we sponsor. Very, very cool and uh, also proceeds from the sale go to charity to make sure that we're giving back in every possible way we can both directly through funding as well as in other programs that we create Uh, and also if you want to check out one more thing before we get into the full episode, I recommend that you check out velocityclosing.com because I've created the four step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. The reality is, what I'm teaching you is how to better connect with people to be able to talk about the platforms and products and services that you've got in your company or even yourself, and how to better relate that to how people will care and potentially and hopefully and provably buy your platforms. So check it out. Go to velocityclosing.com. I had such a good response, and really, my goal was just to get it out to the market that I've dropped the price to five bucks. Seriously, it's not just the ebook, it's the audio book, as well as a 12 month AMA access, we actually do a coaching program. So every month I do a one hour coaching session. It's on a public AMA session. It's super fun. And actually, there's one coming up. So get on in, go to velocityclosing.com. It's only five bucks. And I just want to give back because I want more people to get in this industry. I want more people to be successful. So I hope you love it like I do. And I've had great feedback. So thank you to all the folks that have already bought. Check it out, velocityclosing.com. All right, let's get to the good stuff. This is Mike Williams from Build Lab. He's really, really cool. We have a great conversation. Mike's just, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about the use of no code and low code and how he and the Build Lab team are doing a ton of stuff around uh, Zapier, Integromat or Zapier, whatever they're called, uh, Airtable, much more, but literally just helping people to adopt low code, no code solutions, and his own foray into coding and, and web developing. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, you're gonna love it. And I hope that it actually teaches you about new products that you didn't even realize are out there that you could put into play. So check it out. Here's Mike Williams from Build Lab.
1: Hi, this is Mike Williams, uh, founder of Build Lab, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. You're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast.
0: Mike, thank you very much for joining. I've definitely been excited when i saw the chance that we were going to have to talk because i am i'm lazy in all of the greatest ways and by that you know i look for every opportunity to do things around systematization and automation and then when build lab shows up in my guest list i was like okay cool. You just made my life easy because I was actually researching this team already <laughs> and we're going to glue this stuff together. So um, thanks for jumping on. And if you want, just for folks that are brand new to you, uh, if you want to give a quick intro about yourself and, and then we'll talk about Build Lab and and the challenge that you and the team are solving.
1: Uh, yeah. So um, basically probably 10 years now, um, kind of been, been in the tech realm, uh, if you will, I started in consulting at a big firm, Accenture, you know, well known uh, IT consultant, um, majored in, you know, finance and information systems. So it was always kind of had a business IT kind of uh, mindset, um, went self employed to start some businesses probably seven years ago or so, um, with some friends, uh, again, was always interested in tech. So I always kind of gravitated to that side of things. I I really enjoy just building things, um, automating things. Obviously, as a small business owner, that's uh, a big one. You don't, you know, have a team of 10 people to do stuff for you. So um, I actually wasn't a developer for most of my career. I I always kind of knew it and I could work with developers and I I knew a little bit, you know, but uh, only in the last few years, I actually decided to get into um, code and become actually a full stack developer. So um, right now with Build Lab, what I'm kind of doing is um, really just scratching my own itch, working on what I'm interested in for clients, and uh, uh, which is kind of no code, low code, as well as kind of full code automation. And um, that whole spectrum, I think it's uh, some people focus on one side or the other. I kind of have have found uh, the middle ground to be really interesting. So that's what I'm working on now.
0: You know, and this is the the thing about what you've got going on is you have, you cover a broad range of things. So I like that it's like the, the focus of what you're doing is bringing this, this automation layer in and, and pulling together these different platforms. So I think that's the biggest thing is that each platform in and of itself has its own specific business value and functional value and idiosyncrasies and while everybody says like oh it's easy you can just plug it together with some other api or something everybody always says that but then when it actually comes to putting these different SaaS platforms and products together it's not an insignificant challenge and that's why a lot of people tend to they end up with these silos of products and and data sets all over the place right
1: yeah definitely um you know even with the no code tools which obviously make things a little easier um and we can obviously expand more on that later but yeah i mean building uh, software if you will even we'll just call using a no code platform that's software as well so just um building you know application logic whether no matter what tool you're building it with um yeah it is always a challenge particularly working with real clients as opposed to you know, you watch a lot of tutorials online that are really straightforward and it's like building a sample app. But, um, yeah, having worked with real clients, you, you just stumble across all these things that you never would have thought of. And, um, it is very dynamic. There's always, you know, very, uh, um, very infrequently is, is this problem the same, the exact same as other clients. Uh, it's almost always like new problems every day. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, I guess
0: it is that neat combination of uh a lot of snowflakes, but then you find out that there's a snowflakes may be different, but they're actually not terribly different. So the good thing is you can kind of reuse a lot of processes and you you yourself can build familiarity to make it easier to, you know, pull together these very specific business, you know, layer processes that are going to be very snowflake and very individual to the way that that team as a workflow or something is that is that true i i I say this having not spent as much time in a broad base of doing this but i i would imagine you could get that economy of knowledge scale
1: yeah definitely um and uh yeah developing repeatable processes that's uh that's something we really place emphasis on you know we always we don't even though projects are different, we don't like starting from square one each time. Like we want to start from square three or four if we can. Um, On the app dev side of things, that's another, in addition automation, that's like the other main piece and um, we're constantly developing both code and UI frameworks there that we can constantly build off of. So, um, and on the automation side too, that's a little harder to build reusable stuff because we're using it's not custom code. We're using third-party platforms, so that can be kind of limited um, in terms of like how easy it is to re reuse or copy things. But um, yeah, definitely, wherever I cannot repeat work, that's a big, uh a huge emphasis for me. Um, especially as someone who likes to automate things, the whole the whole point of that is, uh, you know, taking uh, time off the table.
0: Yeah, when it uh, if with coming to. <laughs> doing your own thing and coming out of a large shop right Accenture I've I know a lot of friends I've worked there and 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 I've had a long lot lots of business you know time with them both as a customer as well as a partner and it's very interesting because of course they have like teams of people that you know we often joke that when you're there you don't feel like you're actually affecting the outcome as much and so you can there's opportunities certainly and you see a lot and you've got a great group of people to attach to but you know your choice to come out on your own was was it guided by this thought that i i really want to be a bit more responsible for the the outcome that i can deliver and and see the results of
1: yeah you nailed it um people ask me that question all the time and i tell them exactly what you just said uh you know accenture i don't regret my time there at all i think it's a great company the people i worked with i, I loved them um it, it you know i had a job out of school like a pretty good job I, I was excited about that so uh yeah definitely uh no regrets there but yeah it's very different um i was on huge projects you know especially in dc here you know your client might be the army or the treasury right so you're on you're on these massive yeah so i'm on these you know 500 people projects and uh um which is cool to say that you know i worked on a army project um but like you m- pointed out you're a pretty small fish in a big pond right um and the work i'm doing now i mean it really couldn't be more different in terms of the scale you know we're a very big fish in on smaller projects uh, you know in some cases we are hired by companies that don't really have a tech team don't really have the budget to hire ten devs. They want someone who can just they can ship all their tech stuff to, be it automation or software dev. And uh, you know, we we're kind of like their outsourced tech team, if you will. Um, so definitely have a, uh, a a very big impact on the client's business at the end of the day. So uh, a lot more responsibility, but you know, definitely a lot more pride. Um, when you complete a project or you see a client grow and uh, you see these automations running every day and you know that you had a big part to do with that.
0: And this is, I'd love to dive into some of the specifics sort or of the customer storage or use cases that you tackle because you actually do quite a bit. And, it's a bit of a, it's always a tricky thing when people say like, what exactly do you mean by, you know, creating, you know, do, doing automation? Like it can be a very, you know, it could be robotic process automation. It could be back office, uh, you know, functional automation for data flow, like all sorts of crazy stuff. So if you don't mind, Mike, I'd love to just like hear a couple of, you know, working examples where somebody would bring you in and say, all right, Build Lab is the place I need right now.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. People ask me that a lot. You know, like, what kind of stuff can we do or what can we automate? Um, And I'm actually like kind of bad at answering that question because it's so there's so many different, uh, um, you know, use cases I've seen. Um, But I would say so I mentioned again, not to get like too off course, but we sometimes it is. We do app development and automation. It, it's not right like yeah, it yeah. sounds like two different things, but in a lot of cases they meld together. But some clients may just be one or the other. Um, on, on the automation side, definitely, um, I've seen a lot of different use cases. Some, in some cases, we are, uh, you know, let's take e-commerce. Um, a few e-commerce clients. So clients who sell, maybe they have inventory and they sell on Shopify and Wayfair and Amazon and they want to like sync inventory. They want to have a central database where they can kind of manage inventory like Airtable is a a tool we, um, a lot of our clients use. That's, if you're not familiar, it's kind of a, it's like a spreadsheet on steroids kind of deal. It's halfway between a spreadsheet and a database. Um, So a lot of it might be centralizing data, connecting all these APIs. Um, Like you kind of mentioned at the start of the podcast, a lot of this is, um, connecting APIs. That's part of the reason that all these automation and, and no code tools have blown up, I think, in the last five years is because um, public APIs have become just a standard, really, yeah. um, for any service like I'm not going to pay for a CRM that is closed off and I don't have an API. Uh, I've worked with those services in the past and it's super frustrating. Um, so that's a that's a big thing is just like stringing these things together. But in terms of the automation itself, again, it's tough to reuse because um, they are they do vary a lot where maybe we are building the same thing kind of for an e-commerce client, but maybe they use uh, eBay instead of Shopify, right? So That's that, right. That, that, and those are two completely different APIs and we'll have different challenges. So um, even if the process is the same, the uh, technical side of things is a little different, but e-commerce is one of them. Um, you know, accounting. We, we have a lot of people that like pulling in sales data into Zero, or maybe they want to automatically send invoices to customers based on usage or something, um, or like tracking time. They want to bill clients automatically um, in, in ways that their service might not have a native integration with. Like some of them, you know, do have native integrations, but a lot don't, or a lot of times people want to do stuff a little more custom. Um, and then some of them could be more full-blown application backends where um, maybe they actually have a custom front-end app that they already have or maybe we built it and they want the back end to be a little more no code low code maybe where um, they can shoot data off there and it does a bunch of things and they don't need to bother their dev team potentially so um, and there's probably a lot more that i uh, um, forgot about but you know buildlab.co slash work has has a few like
0: Little examples there, yeah. And you bring up a very important point. We really get hung up on like, well, why wouldn't you just choose a platform that has a fully integrated, you know, connection to all these other different tools? So I'm like, well, let's assume for a second that they're not a brand new startup with no infrastructure, and or, or a brand new company that's just you know grabbing tools off the shelf that will fit already together. A lot of organizations already have backend you know applications like you said even maybe you've even built them for them and then they suddenly they go oh or we buy a company and this is one of the most common things like people say you know like multi-cloud applications are no one would ever design one i said well no but i know a lot of people that have them they didn't build them they acquired them yeah so they suddenly you know buy a company or buy an app that's already existing and you can't just pick it up and move it so now being able to code that connection is incredibly important. And most people, like they shouldn't, their development team should be focusing on real forward customer facing business value development, not necessarily, you know, all of these bits that, that maybe are bringing those things together.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely um, just in, from my experience, there's a million different cases where the built-in integration just doesn't cut it. Even for the bigger, for one, you might just have a small, more obscure CRM. Maybe you have a special, like real estate CRM because you're in real estate, and they don't have a billion-dollar dev team and they can't build out QuickBooks and Zero and Sales or you know Salesforce and Slack and all these integrations. Um, you know, even some of the big guys, like I, we use HubSpot. We're a HubSpot partner. Um, and not to like pump them or anything. There's a lot of great CRMs, but you know, HubSpot is very full feature. They're a huge company, right? They have a lot of native integrations. Um, and I definitely am not opposed to utilizing those um, where possible. Sometimes I'll advise clients, hey, I think you should just use this all in one, even though it's technically like taking billing away from us. Um, ultimately, I just want to help them out. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to that. But even with those big guys, you there are some things that they won't have or... It's not as customizable. That's kind of the trade-off between using something that someone else built. If you just need to do one little thing different, that might be like an issue. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a part of it. And, and for people who like you mentioned, who might buy a business or have their own app, um, that's another piece of the puzzle. That's kind of deals with the automation and software dev. One thing we uniquely do is, um, we actually create custom modules for apps, so i'll like explain that a little bit so there's zapier is probably the most popular automation platform if you're familiar with zapier we use integromat as well Um, and the way they work they have all these modules right like slack like i can string hubspot to slack to zero to whatever i can link everything up Um, and they do that by wrapping the apis and usually the vendors themselves build that Um, and that's why these platforms are so popular Um, like zapier is doing incredible right now and um it's because you can just have 2000 integrations right out of the box. Whereas the CRM you're using probably doesn't have 2000 integrations. I mean, maybe it has some, um, but what we do actually, we do come across people where Zapier doesn't have an integration or Integromat doesn't. And it's either for an app that they use a lot, like heavily, um, you know, like, I think like IMDB was was for, uh, this movie database um, for one of our clients. but Uh, we, we can actually build a module to like wrap that API. So their users can build these automations together and they can just throw in that app. So, or if you have a custom SaaS product, say, and you don't have the resources to build in integrations yourself, say your users are asking for a Slack integration or a Salesforce. It's like you can spend the time to build those out custom and they, or those teams, Slack and HubSpot and whatever, they've already built these integrations on, these automation platforms. So you can just build your own little app that interfaces with your API and your users can string that together however they want. So you can spend probably like a fraction of the money and have 2000 integrations essentially, um, you know, just right out of the box without having to spend any dev time on it. So that that's an interesting like use case.
0: Yeah, it's not necessarily the they, they say, I need to integrate my data with, you know, zero or whatever it's gonna be. And you say, well, no, what you need to do is you need to integrate it with Zapier as an example. And cause it already has zero. So, and then from there, you could potentially integrate with other things. So it's, it's neat too, because as a as a business owner, as an app owner, as a, like, I'm thinking about purely business flow. I've, you know, data activity, whatever it's gonna be is here. I need to get it over here. And all that I see is the set of tools that I'm aware of, right? It's the 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 things we know, you know, and versus you can come in and say, well, if this is where you need it in the end, and this is where you have it at the beginning, here's actually an optimal path because there's other opportunities for, yeah, easier, low-code integration and and, and such, so definitely a distinct advantage in hiring somebody who that's their specialty more so than you know looking at the very narrow view of I have this app and this data and I want them to talk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we do a lot of work with companies that already have dev teams like they they don't technically need I mean they could put one of their devs on this stuff but um you know ultimately we've just found our way we kind of specialize in this what's kind of a smaller pool right now i mean it's growing but um you know particularly in tegramat we we do a ton there we're one of their uh gold partners and um they're like a smaller but upcoming zapier competitor and i mean there are only a handful of people who do that stuff so we have clients who come to us and just because we're you know one of few companies doing it it's like you know they could have their devs spend a week trying to learn it and i think if you're a dev you can it's very intuitive like the concepts are the same, even though you're not writing custom code, right. uh, but still, it just makes more sense for a lot of companies to just hire a specialist, right?
0: Well, and it becomes this neat thing. Of, I've had a few different folks on and like prior to hearing about them, their work, I had never heard of this company called Entreport. And all of a sudden in the string of like a couple of months, I had three specific people that were, they were Entreport specialists. and it was. It was really neat that rather than a HubSpot, like, and people do that with HubSpot or with MailChimp or with a Salesforce, whatever it's going to be. Like, every, they said their niche choice as a business owner was look, I'm really fantastic at doing just this thing. And then from there, they found that they spanned out in their consulting practices and started to bring on other products. But that, you know, like you said, so you've got this platform which people may not know right out of the gate. But you're like, look, it can do this thing, and I can show you 50 other cases where we've done it, and we're going to help you do it together. It's comforting, right? Because then people now know that it's, if anything, a company that's not. Well, I don't want to pick on Zapier, but we're like, sometimes you get the the company that's trying to be everything, and then you suddenly realize that there's maybe not as attention as much attention as you would hope you could get which is why I would go in and say, Mike, I need help. Cause I want to, I want someone who's going to know about this app in, in a year and it not be just me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like trying to be everything that that's another, that just kind of reminds me, it's just as a little tangent. That's another thing with, I think the, why automation is getting popular um, because like, It's a lot more common now for people to have these segmented services, right? Like you probably use, is there an all-in-one solution that has CRM, chat, database, email? Like, yeah, sure. But most people use Slack for chat because it's really good for chat. Um, They use their CRM for CRM because it's really good for CRM. Um, They use G Suite for email because it's really good for right? Like, um, and I think I saw some stat the other day, the average company has, like 20 different SaaS subscriptions or something like that. Um, which sounds like that's kind of coming from the old, old days. Like I haven't been around that long, but you know, we were at Accenture, we were putting in some of these ERP solutions that were, these are becoming, these are obviously still popular and around, but those ERPs back in the day was like every single business function is going to be in this one app, you know, that's right. (laughs) Um, And like, it sounds like so old fashioned now. Um, Cause it, it's not common at all. It's not uncommon at all to like use these a la carte services and time altogether, because it might be, you know, an ERP might cost you a fortune and, you know, Slack's six bucks per user a month. Um, I always, I always compare it. This might be stupid, but to like food trucks, right? Like, so you can go to a restaurant that has burgers and steaks and this and that. um But these food trucks are people who are basically like, they generally specialize in something, right? It's like, that's a burger truck and it's kind of like they just do burgers really well right so like if i want a burger i can just go to that burger truck and i know they're probably they probably don't have a mediocre burger right they uh, probably wouldn't do what they do if uh, that was the case so yeah there's a lot of these little SaaS products that do one thing really well and people just want to time together
0: you oh, know and it makes sense and 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 in the as a consumer you go to the place instead of having to go into the restaurant where you're trapped inside the walls, you can literally, you generally go there and there's more than one food truck. They're parked next to each other. So you can go to the fry truck for the best fries, the burger truck for the best burger, and you get the best meal. You know, like you get exactly what you wanted from the best of each. And that's why uh, it's actually a a fantastic analogy for the value of these like multiple SaaS platforms. It's a bit, it is still counterintuitive to what we've been sort of beaten into for decades now of like, you should bring it all into, you know, one throat to choke as they say, or whatever it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's tough, you know, cause I mean, look, I get my credit card bill and like, I get my notifications on my phone and it's like about every 20 hours, something ping saying, I just paid for something, you know, it's a nominal tiny fee, but if I, if I don't, If I'm not careful and I don't look at the total bill for the month, you know, four bucks, eight bucks, twenty bucks, they they do add up. But what's it mean for me? I use my I've got a learning management system, which is not a common one. They're fantastic, and I've used the platform, and so I I would do just what you're talking about. Like I'm I want somebody to make that work because I've already made that work for that function. I don't want to then build another you know, move it to, you know, a Kachabi or another one. Great. Again, great platform, great partners, but I'm already using this one and I've got workflows and I've got students. I've got people using this stuff. So, and uh, Mike, I want to talk about the, the no code, low code thing. Cause this is something people really get, it's a misunderstood phrase. Uh, uh, so let's talk about that and maybe sort of unpack some of the myths of, of low code and no code and what it really means.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Did you just want me to go into it or did you? Yeah, uh, no, just, just, just questions. dive
0: in. Yeah. If we dive in on, on your, what it is for you and, and, and especially like, what are the advantages to do in that, that type of development?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, uh, it's a little bit of a loaded term. People kind of argue on Twitter about what no code actually is. Um, I just to use up, no code is kind of the broad term now because, the popularity has increased so much that it is kind of its space of its own now. But me personally, when I say no code, I'm referring to a really big umbrella of services um, that includes low code. Like I'll usually lump them in together as well. But the gist is um, that it's basically just ways to build software or applications um, with with code abstracted. Um, There's obviously code behind the scenes, but, where you have to do a minimal amount of code you might just put in certain parameters into a module and that sends a request to hubspot's api and you don't have to write the hubspot api wrapper or anything like that um you know it, it's become popular the last five years it's it's not new though i mean some of the no-code critics will say oh this has been around forever you know like dreamweaver was a no-code website builder um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. square even has been around for a while that it's. Funny, I think they're kind of like old school almost now. But um, you know, you could call Excel a low-code app, um, so it can mean like whatever you want it to mean. I, I, honestly, I don't get too caught up in. Uh, some people just argue too much about just the uh, like semantics <laughs> of words, but uh, that's just kind of the broad stroke. Is just uh, like, and, and it can be back end or front end. I mentioned Zapier and tegramap That's more back end. That's running application logic. There's not a UI. Um, but there's also front end tools like i I mentioned squarespace was probably one of the first ones i mean technically that's like a no code low code tool you can build a site without having to write a bunch of html right you have a template out of the box webflow is a very popular um, service now i I think webflow has really uh nailed the uh the kind of mix of power and um, ease of use so uh, they're not surprisingly doing really well now um so, just no code when most people say it. They're just referring to those kind of tools,
0: yeah, well, and it becomes a thing that again, I don't want to be researching the toolkit. i I want to go to somebody who knows this ecosystem that I can ask you the question and you can like you can rattle off everyone that's on the top of your mind and And it isn't it's a big advantage for folks to like invite somebody in who that's what they do. And, and this is why I, again, I, I love the, f- the, the role that you and, and, and our, and the build lab team are taken. It's like, let, let us do this part, you know, do code so we can offload. Like I said, maybe they got developers that's fine, but maybe you could do this because it's all you're going to focus on and you can get it done while they're working on other things that are much higher business value, you know, like second order value to that company, instead of them having to go and chase and learn a new platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think we're worth the money and and you should hire instead of try to do everything yourself. Um, Which it's it's a little ironic because that the no code tools are supposed to be like you can build right without a developer. Um, But obviously, you know, again, in the real world, it makes sense to hire experts to do things like, yes, these tools are drag and drop. They're very, anyone can technically use them. Um, but, you know, there's a difference between being, you know, proficient and expert, like as with anything, not not no code, but pretty much any field, right? Um, once you've been around for a while, and no code's pretty new, so I say a while, but that's like five years is kind of ancient. Yeah, okay,
0: relatively. A yeah. Period of time, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm talking like I'm an old expert, you know, but, um, but yeah, definitely, uh, it, it's kind of an 80 20 thing where, yeah, you can be like quick to learn that 80, but that last 20% is where, you know, a ton of value could be. You know, we built use these tools so many times. Not only can we just do things quicker, um, than, than you probably could, you know, I've had some clients come to me where they were kind of like iffy about budget but they were also like I've spent 2 weeks trying to figure this one little simple automation out. I'm like <laughs> so I'm like which is it you know like do you want to save money or do you want to save 2 weeks um but yeah definitely we've we've been around the block a bit and we know not just how to build these things but it's how to architect them well and I think that goes for all of software it's it's so easy to find a mediocre dev who can just build you a product someone who can architect it in like a lean way that minimizes tech debt that's going to not go down every month. You know, that's a whole nother story, um, and that's the reason why there's two hundred dollar an hour engineers and there's twenty dollar an hour engineers. Um, and a lot of the two hundred guys are probably worth it, right? Because they the, the architecture is a big piece of it. I think that's where we ultimately provide provide the most value on the no code, low code side. Even though, yeah, you can build all this stuff. Um, you know, we not only knowing. Um, we also advise on just different services too because we've worked with everything so some people might need a crm um that's another piece of things but yeah ultimately you're leveraging you know years of experience and we can distill it down into a couple hours
0: it is a a big win and i use this stuff all the time and i've learned because i used to be the the sort of the crotchety you know admin developer type who'd say like look I can just, I'm not going to pay someone to do this because I should be able to do this on my own. And it wasn't incorrect. I have the technical and intellectual capability to do it, but I don't have the time. And unfortunately, we get stuck on the thing of like, haven't we already got a team of developers? Like, well, no. End result is now, here I am. I'm older, Eric, who I had to build a simple app. And I was like, I'm comfortable with Ruby on Rails. I'm comfortable doing a bunch of stuff, but I didn't want to have the hardening process of authentication be my problem. Mm-hmm. So I found a consultant who specializes in that. And in this case, you know, I had two consultants. One who's like the $20 an hour person. You know, God bless them. They're, they're doing great work for, for general stuff. But it was going to be like a 15-hour a project. And I, you know, I I would probably be, you know, getting something that, not quite as tight and as lean and, and as, as well factored as, as it should be. So I hired a guru and it was like $175 an hour. And the end result is the guy sends me back a thing on the, uh, over the weekend he works on it and he sends me an email on Monday goes, here it is. It actually ended up taking me about half an hour because I've already done all of this stuff before. So I just kind of pulled together a couple of examples to let me know if this works and, you know, so end result, I looked at it, super tight code. I knew exactly what was getting, he documented it. So he had processes that he had hardened himself over time. And I got that. In the end, probably I, I tipped him more than I would have, than I paid for the contract. Because it was worth that much to me versus, you know, 20 hours with this other developer. And I'd have gotten code that I probably could have written if I spent 80 hours. But now when I hand it to the next developer, they gotta do refactoring and they gotta do all sorts of stuff. You know, it's it is a weird development's a weird thing because there's right is such a, a weird subjective thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm I've uh that same experience. I've definitely had that a few times. I have I've hired dozens of uh, you know, freelancers throughout the years and um yeah, I'm obviously biased, but I think high the dola- hourly rate is only a, a it can be only a small part of the uh, equation, right? Like if you hire a thir- you know, a thirty dollar guy to do ten hours of work and you have to tear it all down, it's like you could have hired a three hundred dollar an hour guy to do it in an hour, right? Um, yeah, that's a very simple example. Obviously, um, now there are cases for you know more because I- I've hired both. I've hired high dollar more consultancy roles. I've hired Lower, like when we just really just needed a lot of stuff shipped. Um, So I'm not knocking lower hourly, like uh, by any means. I I think there's a reason there that both exist. Um, And I'll even advise prospects sometimes. Uh, I try to be real straight up on sales calls. Uh, Sometimes I'll tell them, I'll be like, "Eh, I I think you should actually just hire someone cheaper. Like you guys have a really easy workflow. Uh, I don't think we're going to provide much more value than like the mediocre or the average guy is. Yeah. Um, ultimately, like I, I'm not trying to, you know, be average in the space. You know, I want to be towards that higher end. I mean, obviously, like everyone probably says that, but that's uh again, this is I, I didn't start this to like start a business. I just got into these tools, and ultimately, <laughs> kind of the business came after. So um, this is something like that. I and, and my team like are really putting, you know, we're really interested. and in. We're not just doing it to make a buck and. So I, I don't want to try to compete with the lower-end side of things because that's just not – that's going to be a lose-lose for everyone.
0: Yeah, well, and this is the other thing, too, And it's always tough, too, when we – even the phrases we have to use, we talk about cheap, expensive, mediocre, you know, average. Like, I, I know – I hate that people will get attached to the semantics of it, but what we're talking about is sort of a range in – uh, we, whatever. It's its a range. It is effectively a spectrum of what you're getting. And when I hire a $300 an hour person, they're not 10 times better than the $30 an hour person, but they may have far more experience. So they won't do certain things that the $30 an hour, per, like it is junior, senior, like people get hung up on those names. And so I, I just want to say that as for anybody that's kind of gnashing their teeth when you and i toss around words like junior and mediocre like no that's not what we mean i mean i need to solve one goddamn problem (laughs) (laughs) and who am i going to hire to do it somebody i know that they could make their money elsewhere they don't want to do my small project so they're going to do it well fast and in the end for me it will be less expensive because you know and even better you just you you won me over when you said this mike I probably am not the right fit for this particular situation, but here's a place you can go. It's the best thing you can do for somebody is to tell them, yeah, this is probably not the, I don't want to waste your time and your money. You could get this done with maybe this group of people or with this platform. Like it's a fantastic customer experience when someone says, yeah, you know, here's actually a better thing for you.
1: Yeah, I, I again, have no problem telling people that. Um, you know, like I said, we're the no code, again, I just kind of happened into this, but particularly with Integramat, you know, we get, we get a lot of work that like, I can't even take really. Um, unfortunately I'm, I'm trying to scale up my team now that's a, my number one focus, but, uh, yeah, so I can't take all the work that comes anyway. So I don't want to take a project that I'm think I'm going to do a bad job on. And, um, and yeah, I'm definitely not picking sides here saying like, Oh, you should always hire a $300 developer. And, um, you know, I, I definitely don't want to, uh, give off that impression. No,
0: no, Uh, for sure.
1: That's part of the whole consulting we do with just low code and no code and code is just telling like, what's the right tool for this job. Right. Um, and the same goes for, you know, what's, what's the right hire. Like, should we hire a consultant? Should we hire a lower level employee? Should we hire a part-time? Should we use an internal staff on it? You know? Um, I mean, there's a million different, different things. And I'm, um, again i'm not just trying to market myself uh as an expert just because like well i'd rather make you know more money per hour or anything like that uh it's just about i just realized that there's a big difference there both from hiring and from seeing clients who a lot of them do come to us who had who have like an 80 percent Integromat thing built out but they're like the last 20 is always the hardest right that goes for all software i think um and they're just like, yeah, they just couldn't cut it. Like they, they couldn't figure out this last part or they couldn't. And that that's where like a lot of the value is really. Um, because then it doesn't matter what the hourly rate is. Like sometimes, or it might not be another developer, but it might be the business owner themselves where like, they're like, I got this far, but I just can't do the rest of it. And it's like, they could spend a month and they won't, they might not get it. That's the thing with software is there are some really tricky things uh, problems that it's not about grunt work. Like that's the reason these big tech companies paid 200 grand for kids, you know, to come work for them. Like there are cases where man, like throwing more people at it, what might necessarily not solve it. Um, it's more of just like a mental architectural, uh, issue. So, um, I kind of just saw that from real life clients that there was a need for, you know, someone who's like focuses more on the, uh, maybe more intricate, like, architectural automation um, side of things as opposed to just building, we need all these things built out and it's just you know gonna be this many hours.
0: You know, and, and it becomes a thing of, sim- think of the very simple analogy I would give somebody is, you know, you wanna paint your ceiling and you got a 40 foot ceiling cause you got a beautiful house. All right, what do you do? Are you going to hire a painter that doesn't have a ladder? Are you gonna hire a painter that has a, a bunch of ladders they are gonna stick together? Or you're going to hire a scaffolding guy. Now, a scaffolding guy is going to nail this down. You're going to say, man, but the scaffolding guys cost me a thousand bucks. like, well, guess what? And you know, how much are the holes in the walls from the ladders tipping over from the other fight? like, and do you yourself want to go out to Home Depot and buy a ladder? And like it's like the scaffolding is the eighty percent. It's this thing that it looks sometimes even easy, but it's a big waster of time. and you get it all done. And then when it comes to the 20%, that's really super business critical. Well, you've spent all this time putting the scaffolding up. Hire somebody that can do the scaffolding so they can get right to the problem and get it out of the way. That's that's my my humble opinion. From years of doing this too, it's like, yeah, that's why I I, I love hiring specialists. I even just to get it started. If anything, it's it reminds me that I'm now I'm at the start line. Like it's like a relay race. Be the second leg. Don't be the one out of the start gate. I have do this for my advertising. I I, I have a Shopify uh, store for my, my coffee business. I had a choice. Do I build it from ground up and learn the intricacies of Shopify or do I take a packaged bundle and then customize it? It cost me a little bit more. And the end result was I was live in 24 hours. And I've tried it before and I spent like a week and a half in Shopify going, this is neat, but I got a glue. I literally got it. Uh, They handed me the admin email and I was live and I was like, okay. So literally at that point, it was just up to me how I wanted to tune it for the customer, not how I wanted to tune it for the admin experience.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't have much to, to add to that really. I think you said it.
0: Now, this is so let's talk about your your journey to become a a developer it's i'm curious whenever someone comes to it later in life i'm always interested was it something that you were interested early but never put the focus and attention to or like how long is because a developers a it's a mindset as much as it is a a practice i find
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, I always knew um that I I was always interested in code like the the few classes I took in high school and college um you know, I I like was definitely interested in, but I never dove in cuz I was I knew, you know, becoming a developer that's like a whole time commitment thing. And coming from it from more of a business and tech standpoint, um, I always knew like you talked in this podcast a lot about you know, delegating, right? Like anyone who grows a business ultimately learns how to delegate efficiently um, past a certain point. Like you just can't grow anymore uh, if you don't. So part of me was kind of like, well, is it even worth me learning to code? Even though I can tell like I'm kind of, I had the, for whatever, you know, whatever gene it is like that makes you interested in it. Like I knew I had that, but um, I was kind of like, do I want to go down that route? Can I keep just using these no code, low-code tools and hiring devs? Um, and for my first businesses, I I would hire a lot of devs. Um, But I always hated like I would have especially with freelancers, you'd have a dev build something and it might be working for six months and then stop working and then you go to find them and they're not working anymore on Upwork or whatever. And you have no idea like I I would need to make the smallest little change on the site, like just update an API key, but I wouldn't even know how to do it, you know. Um, And that drove me nuts. Eventually, I finally just uh, dove into it, um, and I it kind of accidentally happened. Like, I the first thing I did was really just to scale up no code stuff. Um, no code services charge you by the task, so as opposed to like compute power, like a cloud platform, right. uh, which is fine. It makes sense. It's it's probably hard for them to, um, you know, figure out compute. I think that might become a thing down the line, but it's just by the task. So. It can get a little expensive if you're doing thousands of things a day, um, and I, I've certainly that that's one big thing we look at when we're advising on whether to go customer no code. Um, and I I had this one task that I was doing that I just wanted to scale up, and I, I wasn't necessarily like I want to learn to code, but I realized I could set up a little uh, cloud function with some JavaScript. So I spent like the whole day kind of learning JavaScript. Um, I went on Code Academy. Uh, did that, you know, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Like seeing that running on the cloud and running a million tasks a day. I was just like, man, this is awesome. Um, Kind of the same way when I discovered these no-code tools where I was like, wow, I can do anything with these. When I started dabbling in code, I was like, man, you can really do anything here. Like you're not held back by a platform at all. You know, it, it's fully custom, which obviously has its drawbacks. It takes more time, you know, and uh, right. potentially, but I just, after that, I was kind of past the event horizon and just kind of kept going and gradually and almost accidentally, just before I knew it, I was just building applications. Um, And it was really, I didn't do any boot camps or anything. It was uh, like Code Academy and YouTube. It is, uh,
0: when you when it kicks in and you see it work, and then you understand and you start to fix things and you start to really, like you then feel comfortable. It's this, you're just like, with these powers, I can become a superhero. You feel incredible because it's like, oh, wow. Now I get it, like copy paste coding is how I started. You know, it's like, go on to my, I call, my friend, Matt Oswald, he calls it the full stack overflow engineer. <laughs> I right. just go on to stack overflow, find someone that fixed my thing, cut paste, no idea why it works, but it works. It, but eventually then you start to go, okay, what if I change this parameter? What if I uh, you know, do it in a different way? I, and when that stuff starts to kick in, it is like, then you know, like you said, it's like, now I know I can do stuff without the baseline. I can start from zero. I can start from an idea and I can build it. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. feeling.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I'm still not above copying Stack Overflow code. Um, <laughs> there's nothing think, wrong with that. <laughs> I don't think uh, developers, I think any dev who says they grow out of that is lying. Um, people joke about that a lot as as being a dev is learning how to Google really, like, really exceptionally. Um, but uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's again, I, I talk to a lot of like no coders as well. And um, there's not... I'm kind of unique that I'm in the middle a little bit. Like a lot of people are just focused in no code because part of the ethos of it is like you can build without code. You know, some people like really get almost emotional about it and we're like, you know, like
0: no code fundamentalists, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, as with anything on Twitter, you'll find people who just take stuff way too far and argue. Um, but no, I, I like am very, the no code community is great. I've been on a, a no code podcast where I, I discussed, Kind of these same principles of like where it's good to do code where it's good to do no code i'm definitely not one of these people where i'm like picking sides or i mean we we use both every day for clients like I, i'm like this is not just my opinion i mean this is the the real real life uh, version of it but um and i understand some people aren't cut out as much for code and, and no code's great for them but yeah learning to code like that was i just can't think of a more powerful like skill i've ever learned it's just amazing um you you start just you you just look at everything differently like when i look at the little parameters on the end of a url now at the question mark
0: that's right
1: like i know what that's doing now and i'm like oh this is making a get request to a server right like you just see you're kind of like seeing the matrix in a way um and uh so it's really powerful. I mean, you realize like the world runs on software right now, right? I mean, it's just, we're surrounded by software. Um, it's funny how few people can speak that language, right? Um, but, uh, so yeah, that that was definitely a big, um, again, I understand people who aren't cut out for, or aren't interested in coding because you gotta be interested too, not just, right. uh, that, that's probably the more important piece than being, you know, having a knack for it. But um, I definitely understand uh, people who don't like it, but for people who are kind of dipping their toes, like I was, I would definitely recommend, you know, it's, it's unlike anything that I've ever learned really. Um, because you can just, I mean, there's no limit to it, you know?
0: Yeah. You're only limited by your imagination. It sounds like such a cliche thing to say, but it really, you know, and as you get comfortable with each bit, it allows you to like fast forward to the part that you're stuck on. And, and, and then you get, you can practice that and do that. And it, even like I'm in the same boat, I, I do a lot of development only out of necessity, but out of necessity, I grew a passion for being able to do it. So if someone says like, oh, I've got this thing I want to do. I immediately think of like, Oh, just really, oh, let me just whip up an app for it. And you can show it to someone five hours later the, and it's, it feels it's a very creative process, even though it's it's a weird like left brain right brain mix. I think, and you definitely have both sides where you know you can. You're 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 good at both ends, which is actually even tough. Like I know a lot of amazing developers, and they are like they want nothing to do with public speaking. They want no, like yeah. they are, they're very analytical, purely analytical, and so to be able to split the line. It's actually it makes you more unique than than some people would even realize.
1: Yeah, I've definitely having hired and worked with devs. Um, I definitely have seen that there's a difference. You know, this goes back to talking about the hourly rate, the thirty dollars versus two hundred. Um, there are a lot of great devs I've worked with that they, but like you said, like they just want to code. That's it, um, and that's fine. Like I have jobs where I, that's what I need, um, yeah. but when it comes to like project management they're kind of like you know they're just sitting around kind of maybe waiting for me to do something and i've worked with on other projects i've had a more you know i've seen that there are devs that cost a lot more but they do design they like can design a good ui because that's something i place a high emphasis on is ui i don't like creating these like crappy templated looking stuff yeah uh, apps and. um so if you find someone, you know, a dev who's like also good at communicating, can also manage a project, uh, you know, maybe has some design sense that's, uh, yeah, with software, it it, it is more creative and, and higher, like the architecture, it, it has more like higher level architecture and creativity, um, tasks that I, then I think a lot of people realize, you know, if something is if you just want code to do some templated thing, well, there's probably a template on GitHub that can do that. Like, that's right, it's probably already out there. You know, it's like the last, again, the last 20%, that's where you're gonna make or break, you know? Um, I'm sure we've all used mediocre software and we've all used exceptional software, right? And you, you notice the difference, even people who aren't devs, you know, you know when an app is crappy or slow or it looks bad, right? So. I think it's that extra, that extra 20 is where um, so much value lies.
0: Yeah. And this is the, uh, I always talk about user experience. i got people at my company, we we say like user UI and UX, a decent UI and UX is not differentiating. Not having a decent UI and UX is differentiating for your competitors. Like if you don't, if it isn't intuitive, if it doesn't flow, if it doesn't look and feel good, like if, look, if, if how it looked didn't matter, there would be sushi smoothies. It matters how it looks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, yeah. so. you know, why is there latte art competitions? It's the same bloody coffee, whether you shake it in the, jar, in the cup or whether you draw a swan kissing a heart on top of a starry moon. But in the end, it's a pretty fantastic thing to see that experience. And it does. There's an overall experience. That's a part of that. And when it's using software, it's not the five minutes you spend in the software. It's the fact that you love the fact that it only took you five minutes to use the software. Cause it was such a good UX.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I probably spend too much time. Like I actually struggle with, I, I can be a little too much of a perfectionist sometimes. Like you hear all these, you'll see people post all the time where they're like, look at this for V1 of Amazon. Look at this V1 of eBay. And like, it looks horrible. Right. And they're like, you know, don't get too hung up. And I, I definitely, that's a big thing about the no code space too, is about getting started early. Like don't spend $50,000 to test a market, right? Try to string together a little MVP. So um, there's definitely a lot of merit there, Um, but yeah. So I I might even obsess a little too much over UX, but uh, yeah, it it is kind of table stakes today. You know, that wasn't always the case. Um, I know uh, I listen to, I follow Andrew Wilkinson who, you know, he started Metalab and he runs Tiny Capital now. And um, he talks about when he got into designing, you know, he got on with like Slack, I think was one of his first clients or something. And he was like, all these flashy, like, you know, kind of bubbly UIs and, and stuff that we have now that are the flat UI, whatever you want to call it, like that look that like every SaaS app has right now. He's like, that, right. he's like, that was pretty novel at one point. Um, like people didn't think about UX as a separate thing. It was just like, write the code to do the thing and like kind of make it look good if you can. Um, but, you know, so U, UI and UX has become a, a lot bigger deal these days, I think.
0: But And it evolves too. and That's the other thing. It's like, like remember the days of the skeuomorphic icons on the iPhone? And it was a whole big thing. And it, I, for, well, I forget what was the fellow who was the designer at the time. And everybody was just like, this is it. He's the... He's the visionary of the ultimate user experience. And then when he left and they changed to the, the new sort of like the flattened icons, they're like, Skewmorphic is like from the 90s. And people are just trashed on Skewmorphic as a method for like two years. And like, look, it was a point in time and a place. But I'm with you on this. When do you know it's the M and the V of the MVP? Like that's a, that's a weird judgment call to have to make.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's a huge question um, that I'm not always great at. Admittedly, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to like 80-20 things. You know, um, I've used the eighty twenty analogy like fifty times during this interview, but <laughs> it uh, works. There's a reason, right? Pretty much, does stick. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It, it is that is something I try to um, be mindful of, and I actually. Talk about like turning down bad fit work. I actually, from on the application side of things, um, there are a lot of no code, low code agencies that focus really on like bare minimum MVP, get it out the door in two to three weeks. And um, it, where like, they're not doing bad UX, but UX isn't really, you're just punting that. You're not worried about it yet. You're just trying to test the market. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't really try to compete with those guys because I know i would spend too much time obsessing over uh the ux side of things that so i just kind of realized like well we're gonna try to like on the application side i try to take projects that are more i call them v 1.5s so like we try to build really lean and we use serverless uh, computing which um, we can talk more about that if you want but i'm all about using like the new tools like even if you're using custom code still having that no code mindset of building really lean, don't write more code than you need to. Um, you know, when I'm working with my devs, I, I try to like instill that on them. You know, I, some of my devs are more old fashioned and they want to like build this monolithic app. And I always have to, that's another good thing about learning to code by the way, even if you're still going to delegate, it helps you to work with developers a lot um, uh, because you yeah, can, just yeah. tell them. It, it, that that's one of maybe the biggest um, things for, for running a studio for sure what is that piece of things because, um, and I know I cut off my first uh, thought mid-sentence there, but um, yeah, it is nice for me to be able to, rather than say, you know, every dev always has their like the example of the client who knows nothing about dev, who comes to them and says like, oh, you know, can you just throw like AI in right there, you know, the (laughs) client, and you like, are like, dude, you don't understand how hard that it, uh, so every dev I think can relate to that. So I think it helps when I, you know, when I come to one of my does to say, hey, we, we need to like trim this down or we need to refactor. So like, no, we need all this code. And I can come, I can actually like push back a little bit and say like, no, you look like, I know for a fact we can use this, you know, method, like we can use this serverless platform and we don't have to do all this. Um, and not to say I'm always the, the right one. I Sometimes there we're kind of just going back and forth. That's really useful too, um, where I can kind of, we can kind of like bounce ideas off each other, so.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, it is super important people don't realize that too. It's like, if you're going to go to Spain as an example and you pick up a book on, you know, minimal Spanish, it's not because you want to learn Spanish, it's because you want to have a good time in Spain. And it means that being able to speak enough of the language that you can be comfortable to communicate there. And this is the same thing as you, as you become, as you work in development tools. I was an ops person and that's why I started doing development because I'm, I've am i got to help developers get their code to production. So how can I do that if I don't understand what they do? And as a result, it made me much more empathetic, I guess, and sort of intuitive to what they were trying to achieve. And like you said, you could say like, hey, I I, I see what you're doing here, is maybe there's a way we could actually use this other thing, Or, or it, it means you can have a real intellectual back and forth and then get to the right answer it's like i'm not about being right i want my about getting to the right answer
1: yeah exactly like i said it, it works both ways it's nice to be able to the, I, I don't try to just tell them to blindly follow me but i also don't have to blindly trust them either um yeah you know they like i i have caught you know again some of my debt like i i love most of the devs i work with but i have caught some of them i can tell because I've made the same mistake myself. Like I can tell they're going down a rabbit hole where they're like refactoring some part of the app that just like doesn't need to be refactored. You know, they're like, let's change the API from REST to GraphQL, you know? And I, I kind of like, look, we don't like need to do that. It's working, you know, we can just do this if you're trying to change this one thing. Um, so it definitely does help to keep, cause I'm, I'm not just building software for the sake of building it. You know, we have clients and stuff. So you do keeping the project on task is, as part of it. I don't think that's a fun part. I mean, I think writing code is the fun part, but uh, you do have to be mindful of that. But I think it, it creates a good respect to where um, again, maybe I'm like delusional, but I think most of my devs enjoy, you know, work most of the people I've worked with projects on. I think they kind of enjoy the um, back and forth and hopefully don't think I'm an idiot who doesn't know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, So I think it helps there where you, you just, you guys have a good, uh, relationship and oftentimes I'm in there if they're not more if they're not very design focused let's say like I have a lot of devs who admittedly they're like I'm not good with design don't make me design um, and I'm like that's fine you know I'll hop in there scaffold out the UI um, kind of architect some of the code and you can just fill in the logic um, so it's really again I'll use 80 20 one more time a lot of times it, it is that like where the devs doing 80 percent maybe in terms of like volume of code and I'm taking that last 20 but we're both kind of, um, you know, bouncing off each other and kind of focusing on where we each have our strengths.
0: You know, it's and that's the thing that they could. So that particular person could probably ground up code a, you know, an AI-based platform to be able to tie in you know, uh, a web front end, talking to Twilio, sending out messages, you know, merging them with Apache logs, make sure like is if, like they could do all this fantastic stuff, but then you tell them to put a really nice front end on it and they're going to sit there for five straight days trying to figure out a front end, you know. Uh, and this is the, again, let, let the best let the person do the thing they do best to make the overall platform the best and this is yeah you know, again like we i'll refer it back to what you and the team are doing like i don't want to be good at this stuff as a business owner i want to be good at my business this is why i hired hired guns that i know that i believe in the outcome that they're going to get and i believe in the way they're going to get to the outcome as a partner and and again, respect to you and the team with the, your approach in, in doing it that way.
1: Yeah. And I, you mentioned Apache there, like I specifically hate DevOps. I'm, I'm just so completely anti DevOps. Cause, uh, and right now, so that like, I really leverage serverless. We use Firebase all the time. Um, but there's AWS, there's a lot of different ones yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I, I just hate anything. That's not like building the product, you know, and like does this enhance the product? Or are we spending eight hours like setting up an SSL on a server? Um, I just hate, that was like the last straw for me when I decided like I'm only going server. We still do server stuff, but, um, and this isn't common anymore, but we had to, this snafu or we spent the whole day trying to get like SSL on it. An yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I was like, dude, I just want an S after the HTTP, like that's it. I don't care how it gets, like why is this not an automatic thing? It just stuff like that drives me crazy. Um, so uh, yeah, and I, and I try to um, being opinionated about that helps me with like job posts and stuff. Cause I can attract more like-minded devs. Right. Um, you know, I use some like newer frameworks like Svelte and Firebase and Tailwind, um, which are a little more like hip and kind of new. They're not as proven. But what I like is if I put out a job post for those exact things, I've learned if I put out a job post for front end dev. I'm going to get a million results. Like a lot of people who are like, know this, but not that. But if uh, now I like to be really specific, like I'm looking for a Svelte Firebase dev and I know no one's going to apply to that job. Who's not
0: like so good. Yeah. yeah.
1: Curious about like, if if your experience with felt, it means like you're curious because it's so new that there's not a lot of jobs. Like you wouldn't learn it to get a job. Um, but so it helps me weed out people who are just like, you know, I just want to write React code for the rest of my life. I don't care about learning anything new. Um, not not to bash React. React's great, by the way. Um, and so is Vue. Like, I, I'm not, uh, de- definitely not picking on them. And React goes really well with serverless, by the way, too. I, you know, I mentioned serverless, like, yeah, yeah. with Next and, and Vercel and all that stuff. And and Vue and Svelte are both following in that footstep. Um, but, yeah, I try, uh, long story short, like, um, I like trying to attract, like, people who are like-minded to that because, Uh, Yeah, I hate DevOps. I hate wasting time on stuff that doesn't improve the product.
0: Yeah. And and this is, again, it it has its own function and its own role in certain areas. But it's like, you you know what you're after. and, And that's the best thing you can be. I mean, as an example, like I said, I the only framework I've really learned much in because I was comfortable with it was I'd started doing Ruby on Rails. I used to do like C sharp stuff and VB, like mostly VB script. And then I got into VV.net just because I was in a Microsoft shop and and I was an ops admin. So I'm doing mostly scripting, not developing. And then I did the Ruby on Rails because we hired a Ruby on Rails developer and I was like, I gotta learn how this thing works. And I was like, this is strangely easy. And then it was kind of funny over time that I I I just like it. It does exactly what I need it to do. And then when somebody says like, oh I, you know, I hear it doesn't scale. You know, or like I don't I don't think it's very popular. I'm like, where do you store your code? They're like on GitHub, I'm like, it's written in Ruby on Rails. I hate to tell you. Like it's like not that it's right or wrong, but it if I'm gonna hire a developer, I'm gonna do what you do and I'm gonna say, I've got an opinionated outcome. This is what I want. And it, it narrows the field immediately, which is which is good. Opinion is good in that way. Uh, but yeah. uh, you don't want to put that opinion on Twitter sometimes.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a fine line. Um, um, but yeah, I think you there are gains to be uh to being opinionated. Um you mentioned the scale thing too. This this helped me like I think one of the advantages to me kind of coming into code more recently um, and also coming from the no code side is I didn't have any of that 15, like 10, 15 year dev like baggage or anything where like, I'm sure a lot of old school devs will look at this no code stuff and be like, what are you doing? Like, this is, a tool. <laughs> um, and, and again, people on Twitter, if you go there, you'll see people arguing both ways. Um, so I was more, willing to and i wasn't trying to get a corporate job or anything so i I was really willing to bet on some newer tools and like serverless and stuff and i had that no code mindset that you don't need like you can kind of scale stuff i i think no code isn't quite as scalable right now but um that could change but i definitely saw there was a lot of different ways to write software and get stuff done and you don't you and like you don't necessarily need a server you know i think um uh i think you know I when a couple years ago, again, I haven't been around like that long um, or anything. But, you know, when I was starting to really look at serverless and be like, should we start going a little heavier on this? You know, some older school devs would be like, no, you need a server. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and you need an API layer, like you can't just call cloud functions. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, like you start to see, I mean, serverless is clearly taking off. And um, some of the, the front end frameworks, like you mentioned Ruby, so um you know react and vue and svelte the the three front end frameworks right now they all have their own kind of opinionated app um libraries as well that it's not quite as opinionated as ruby right uh, you know, ruby's really opinionated and and dhh the founder he's very opinionated as well <laughs> that,
0: that he there. is that he
1: is <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of opinions all around there um but they you know they have their own app frameworks like next and nuxt and svelte just uh released svelte kit in beta which is really exciting so Um, yeah, you're, you're seeing some of that where there's a lot of opinionate and nation on the front end, but also the back end there, you're seeing more boilerplate abstracted, right? Like I get an SSL whenever I push to Firebase. Now I don't like ever have to set up an SSL stuff like that. So, um, I I like the direction that's going. I I definitely want to latch onto that.
0: In the end, I'll say it's be good at the thing that matters to you and and this is why, you know, hire, hire where it makes sense, focus on what matters so that you can affect the outcome on. And, you know, as a business owner, as a developer, you know, that was it. Like I had the same thing. I'm like, do I want to stand up my own front end systems and then deal with payment systems? And like, Nope, Shopify sounds pretty good to me. It took me about nine minutes to get my account. And there we go. Like it's so weird. Like, like you said, we, when it's new, there's an immediate reaction to like, ah, this is sort of a fad. And like, yeah, like distributed computing, cloud computing, stuff like that. That was a fad. I remember when that was a fad. It stuck. This stuff is going to stick too, so.
1: Yeah, Shopify definitely stuck. Um- no
0: doubt. No doubt. Yeah, like I this little wee company from Ottawa and a little Canadian company, I guess. I think, I don't know if they're based in Ottawa, but I know they, they have a lot of folks up there and, um, yeah,
1: it's yeah. I've been following them for a while. I I remember, I tried this little e-commerce store a while ago and, um, just as, just as like a side project. And I remember, I don't, I don't know. They might've been a few billion at the time. They weren't like brand new, but they're a lot smaller than they are now. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy how much they've blown up, and yeah, you could call them a, a no-code, low-code platform too.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Hey, well, Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we've we've covered a lot of, so I hope it makes people think. And and if anything, too, you've probably you may have opened up a few more uh, uh, Integromat customers uh, because it, it was neat. And I'm new to I'm new to it altogether. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. This is why I love having these conversations because next thing you know you know i find myself uh neck deep in some really wicked good integromat stuff and and it may be a a real win so i thank you for taking the time and sharing your knowledge
1: yeah appreciate it um thanks and for, for having folks me. that
0: want to reach out to you too as well mike what's the best way if they want to get connected
1: um so buildlab.co um not com is our site uh my sites mwilliams.co. um and uh yeah, those are the two places to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter uh, at Mike, though, um, T-H-O-U-G-H, after Mike. Um, you know, I don't post a lot of content, but I, my DMs are there. If, if anyone wants to reach out or is interested or just has questions, um, you know, we, we could have talked about this stuff, I think, a lot longer. Um, it's something I'm really interested in. and uh, Yeah, so that I'm always open to, you know, chat with people about that.
0: Yeah, I know. That's how it, that's the sad part is I'm like, "Oh, I hate to I hate to stop sometimes. This is why I got to go like the Rogan level of of three. I got to go 3 hours one day cuz it, it is so much more fun you can really open up into some neat areas. Uh but you we really did share a lot of great stuff today, so I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I I should just say we there's a lot of nuance here. If I came off like I was, you know, too biased towards serverless or code or no code um there's tons of nuance there. Like I, I, we didn't have time to disclaim everything, but just want to say that, like, I'm just interested in like the best tool for the job. And, um, you know, I'm uh, yeah, definitely again, could have didn't quite have time to fit all those nuances in, but uh, yeah, no,
0: I, it's all good. <laughs> it was uh, Opinions expressed for those of the participants, not necessarily those of the, <laughs> no.
1: yeah, I feel like I offended maybe some <laughs> older school developers who still have like server, app. like I still do server stuff, you know,
0: that's all right. They don't listen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it is. But it's funny. Like I've, I, sometimes you kind of, you, you have to start, you start and spark these conversations and it's, it, it is good. And, and I, you actually did a fantastic job of making sure you, you didn't step over a line on anything for sure. Mike, I appreciate you saying it as we close up too, though. It, it is, it is good folks, you know, for, for folks to understand when you say this stuff, we're not saying this is the only way we're saying, this is a way that we know can work in a particular function. And uh, you know, if anything, like I said, it's, we have to have opinion because sometimes that's the way you move the needle. That's the way you make the next thing happen. That's the way you get to the 20, you know, yep. instead of just, just swimming in the 80 all the time and then redoing the 80. Cause that's what most people end up doing. They don't just do 80. Yeah. 20, refactor- four different times yeah so i like it awesome mike thanks very much but yeah yeah thanks man